Good morning. My name is Lexin. I'll be reading the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 34. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if... Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. Then those, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by the man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, all things are in, all things are put in subjection, It is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, Why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins bad, bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is God's word. Thanks, Lexan. Sorry it was so long. 
But I didn't pick it, just <laughs> so don't blame me. Nor did I write it. Paul is, wow. So, good morning, everybody. My name is Pete. I'm one of the elders here, if you will. I am old, so in that case, I'm an elder. Uh, but I have the opportunity to share the message today, which for me, when I was reading through the text and going through uh, what I thought I might share, two words stuck out for me, risen and hope. And it made me think of Easter celebration. It made me think of this room full of people reveling in the joy of the Lord and shouting, he is risen. It also made me think of, you know, about, um, I guess it's 20 years now ago, I had the opportunity to go to a Mien-speaking church. And we had a prayer time. And everybody was speaking in their own tongue. So the combination of those pictures of celebrating a risen Lord and then having multiple groups of people in their own language and cultures joined together to sharing that, that was an awesome picture that I had in my head as I was thinking of this. So those are the two words that stuck out for me. And it made me think, why don't we talk about the resurrection more often? Why do we wait to that one time a year kind of when we're thinking about the resurrection when if we look at this passage, obviously there were some people in the church that had a problem with the resurrection. And it was causing trouble, their view of it. They viewed Jesus as being resurrected. That wasn't a problem for them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a Christian church. The problem for them was the rest of us who believed being raised, bodily raised. But it made me think how much this place in time, this uh, action on our behalf from Jesus and the Father, how much that affects us. And having a wrong view of it, or no view of it, how that changes how we might behave. And so I started thinking, well, okay, so what's important about this? And, we, you know, as preparation for our messages here, we have to do like a little tweet. Uh, you'll see it in the communique on Thursdays. Uh, they, they call it a tweet. I guess we should call it X now. Uh, but uh, I said our hope in the resurrection changes the trajectory of our lives. What we believe about Jesus changes us. What we believe about Jesus or fail to remember about Jesus changes us too. We start to falter. So before we start to look at this passage, I thought we'd consider what prompted it. Now, Paul is correcting up a problem that some of the people in the church had with the resurrection, but it is mostly because of the thoughts 
and the culture of their day and how it impacted what they believed. So if you were to go to Acts, and I don't have it up on the board, but, and it's also a, a super long passage too, but Acts 17, uh, verses 16 to 34, Paul is in Athens, and he's waiting for Silas and Timothy to show up. And this, so the spirit was provoked with him, and so he decided to uh, take a look around, and he sees the cities full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. And they said that because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. You see, the people in the of that day, they had a dominant, one dominant tenet or belief they had was uh, in dualism, for one, a mind and or body and spirit, and they thought of the body as being evil. The thought of the body being raised was a disgusting thought to them. Okay, to be free in the spirit was where it was at for the Greco-Roman Roman world of that day. So that's some of what's going on between the philosophies and the high priests and the, and the priestesses and all the things that are going on in Athens. Corinth is just down the road. It's not that far. You can look on a map. I've never been there, but it's not that far. So that was the dominant thought. That's where some of these thoughts were coming into or being brought back up into these body of believers in the church of Corinth. And in the end of that uh, passage, uh, 16 through Acts 17, in verse 32, it says, Now when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among them, among whom also was Dionysius, uh, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris. And others with him. So some people believed, but they mo others mocked. So that's what was going on here. So we have a church, and we have teaching going on, and some believe in one part of the belief of Jesus is being resurrected, but not us. And others are on board. So Paul's trying to conflict, can deal with all this. But as you look at this, this is a big problem within that body because this may be the very thing that caused all the other things to be a problem. Your view of Jesus causes you to think differently, causes you to behave differently. So today we're going to look at uh, three uh, sections, if you will. Section one, your faith depends on Christ's resurrection. That's verses 12 through 19. Your future is certain because of Christ's resurrection, that verses 20 through 28. And your present must be shaped by Christ's resurrection, 29 through 34. Last week, Jim shared 1 Corinthians 15, and he had 1 through 11. And what you saw there was, in the end, that yes, they believed in Jesus and the resurrection. But you also saw... Paul laid it out because there's witnesses to this fact. You know, you have 
the women who came to the tomb. You have Peter. You have John who says he beat Peter to the tomb. You have a bunch of other witnesses. He appeared ultimately to 500 people. So you have a lot of people that are still around at this time. This is only like 20 years later who can tell you, yeah, I saw Jesus raised from the dead. I remember uh, when I first believed, uh, it's in the you know, mid-70s, and there was a book. Yeah, it's a long time ago. There was a, there was a book, but I remember it like yesterday. Uh, there was a book written by Josh McDowell uh, called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And some of you may have read it because it's been around for a while and it's had uh, many versions of uh, and adaptations. And, but he brought out different ideas that people had, you know, that it was a hoax. There's a swoon theory, all these different theories. But the interesting thing is, this was the guy who started out to disprove Christianity, disprove the resurrection. And in his process of trying to disprove it, he proved it to himself and subsequently many others. So that's what Paul is kind of doing here. He's like, look, I've got to correct this view of you guys. If I don't, this is going to become an even larger problem than it is. So your faith depends on Christ's resurrection, 12 through 19. Now, some of you know I work at a grocery store. Now, I don't work at a grocery store like in the sense of bagging your groceries, but I am there to make sure people don't behave badly and people don't appropriate things that they haven't purchased. But, <laughs> but the reason I want to share this with you is because when you go to the grocery store and you purchase something, you get a receipt, okay? And if you've been in some of these stores, and the one I'm particular at, there's a self-checkout uh, area, and there's like a little gate in front of it. You have to scan your receipt to get out. It's their way of proving that you purchased the items. Okay? So think of this section of Paul as his way of saying, this Faith that you have, this Christianity that you have, depends on Christ's resurrection. It, it, I'm going to show you it, is, it did happen, and he is your receipt. Okay, He is your proof. Hold on to that receipt. We tend to throw it away. In fact, some people throw it away immediately. They... they they buy their groceries, and on the way out the door, they're dumping the receipt in the trash. Paul is telling them, Jesus is your receipt. This is your proof that was purchased. Hold on to that, because some here have let go of that receipt. Okay? So he says... <clears throat> Now, if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, you know, when I think of Paul, I know he's a, essentially a lawyer. And I was reading this, I was just going, oh my gosh. And as Lexan was reading this, I was just all this, this and this and this and this. But he's very methodical and very pointed in how he's approaching it. 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Now that first, the preaching is in vain, is one word that means devoid of meaning. Okay? Our preaching is senseless, useless. Okay? And then he says, and your faith is in vain. And that's the... A different word translated the same as far as vain, but it's void of effect. Okay? If this didn't happen, this isn't happen. This didn't happen. Okay? It's useless. In addition to that, we're even we even lied. Me and the other apostles lied. We've been lying. We have even been found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So all these people who have been preaching the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus lied. Today, we're still lying Right? Every preacher that preaches the resurrection, if you follow this thought, for them, Paul's saying, hey, they're misrepresenting God. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is dead, right? What is it? Futile. Paul is challenging them, okay? He's saying, it's futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. I mean, it just gets, he just goes on from one um consequence to another, to another, to another, and he's following this train of thought. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are people to be most pitied. Paul challenges them, those who deny the resurrection, with a series of these hypothetical statements, okay? He's saying, if the resurrection of Christ had not occurred, or if there is no resurrection, then dot, dot, dot. That's what he's following. Futile and you're still in your sins, and then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now, I don't know about you. Most of us, probably all of us, have had someone that has passed away that was close to us, right? And they're believers. We have this hope of seeing them again. My brother uh, passed away uh, a few years ago. He was hit by a semi-truck. But the thing is, my brother didn't necessarily seem to live a life of one following Jesus. But I can remember him accepting Jesus. My mother can cling to the fact that he accepted Jesus. Conversations with him later on in his life before he passed my mom can still claim that he accepted Jesus. So I will see my brother 
again. We will see our loved ones again. Paul's just using all these negatives to prove his point. Now, you know, the thing about being vain, so he spent his whole life for now preaching, right? The guy's been stoned, beaten. He's had all kinds of things happen in his life, and he spent his entire time preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died and resurrected. He has resolved, Paul said it, he has resolved to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. If Christ had not truly been raised, Paul admits then that all would be vain. He would be preaching a lie to the salvation of no one. He had spent his life. Okay. And if Christ had not been truly raised, then our faith would be in vain. The scripture says here, it would serve no purpose. If Christ had not truly been raised, there is no resurrection, then there would be no way of salvation, for man cannot resurrect himself. A dead man cannot rise on his own accord. Everything is vain if Christ was not raised. Life is meaningless because Christ is not raised. But, he goes on in verse 20. He says, but in fact, he is raised. He has been raised from the dead. He goes on to say, Talk about the first fruits. But in fact, if Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam has in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and then the, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when it delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says he has put all things under subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So first fruits. You know, I think Dave Monk is the one that talks about first fruits the most in relation to our offering. He uses that word first fruits, first fruits. Well, that's what this was. The first fruits were an offering. They were a, the first sample of this crop. Okay? So whatever this sample was, was what the rest of the crop was. So he is the first fruit. So he is that first sample. He is, his resurrection 
he's Paul is saying, is ours. It's, we're the same. We're the same crop because of Christ. Now, the interesting thing, too, is the religious people use the word in the sense of the offering. But the secular people also use that same word, the first fruits idea. But for them, it was an entrance fee. Well, that would work for us, too. Jesus is our entrance fee. So truly, not only is he the representative of a, a human being, human's body being resurrected, and therefore we too, Paul says, are, that same crop will be resurrected, but he also is our entrance fee. He was the first. But Christ has been raised, okay? Our faith is not vain. We do have hope in eternal life. Our lives do have meaning. Okay? We who believe are greatly blessed, for we are united to Christ through faith. And so, even though uh, we die, we share with him in the resurrection. Jesus was the first fruits. His resurrection proves that the resurrection of the rest of us is possible. And united to him, we are promised to be resurrected just as he is resurrected. You know, if we look back in the scripture, you're thinking to yourself, well, why are they so confused about the resurrection? We have all these witnesses that saw Jesus raised from the dead. Before that, we had a person who was raised, right? Lazarus was raised. Now, he wasn't raised with an incorruptible body. He was going to have to physically die again. That's not going to happen when we're raised. No more pain. No more mental lapses. Okay? No more sickness. I don't know if I'll have hair. It doesn't matter. <laughs> One less thing to worry about is what I always say. The thing is, we don't know exactly what we're going to look like. But we do know it says we'll be known. We're going to know each other. And I wonder because, you know, when Mary and them are coming to Jesus after they, and they see him and they think he's the gardener, they didn't necessarily recognize him right away. Now, was that partly because they were so shocked to see him that they couldn't believe it, so they didn't know? Or was there something different about him? that they couldn't recognize him immediately? Was it his words? Was it some kind of physical feature on his face that made him go, oh, that is the Lord? So whatever that looks like, however we're going to go from that dust back to a physical body and then be, spend our time in eternity with the Father, I can't tell you what that looks like. That's another part of the chapter down in the book. But it's awesome. Now, I probably would have been happy just being the Spirit, being with the Lord forever, because Paul says when we, when we die that our soul immediately goes up to be with the Lord. But to know that we're also going to have a, a physical body and also a new heaven and a new earth, that the whole process of the fall will be negated and we'll start all over again with something brand new. 
that God is fully in charge of and there is no evil, no sin. I cannot wait for that. That is going to be amazing. So, it's certain that he was raised. But our present also has to be shaped by this resurrection. Now, he goes on and he says, and he says some things that you're like, huh? Otherwise, what do, pe- what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of verse 29 of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, O Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Our present must be shaped by the resurrection. And that's why I started off with the idea of the risen hope and this celebration of joy and how we feel and how we are living at that moment because that's how it's supposed to be now for us. We're supposed to be different. Now, the part about baptism, everybody I was reading was, well, one thinks it's this, one thinks it's that. At the end of the day, it's not about the baptism. It's just another, he's proving a point again. You can't baptize anybody for the dead if the dead aren't raised. He's just saying it's pointless again. As far as the dangers, Paul would be able to speak with them because he lived them. On his missionary journeys, he there may be things that we don't even know about, but the things that he suffered, for sure, dangers. I fought wild beasts. I don't know. That could just be metaphorically. You know, chances are people who fought wild beasts physically were not around to speak about them the next day. But it could be, he says, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. It could be just a metaphor for some of the individuals and people and theories and thoughts that he contended with when he was there. And that's what he's talking about. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's what was happening here. Those thoughts, those ideas were affecting a group within the body who in turn could affect more of the body. How we view the resurrection changes. It should change us. It should shape us. I was thinking about uh, when I first became saved. I remember uh, a pastor sitting me down and he's, you know, walking me through Romans Road, or the, and he's lead, telling me about for all have sinned, and you know, John three sixteen, and those verses, and I'm, you know, sixteen or seventeen years old, and he's sharing those with me, and I had heard the message, I'd been had been going to church, 
But that was not the thing that sold me on being a Christian. What sold me was the changed lives of people. Me being able to see the changed lives. I remember the youth group had the opportunity to do the presentation that evening. And they got up there, and I could see the love of Jesus in them. And that's what made me want to accept Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. Those kind of behaviors, that kind of way of being, that shaping by our view of the, of the resurrection changes how we live. It changes our trajectory. It changed my trajectory. It changes all of our trajectory. Lastly, I just want to say, Jesus Christ is risen. You can say he is risen, even though it's not Easter, because it's true. Okay? And because of this resurrection, we will rise. Our hope in the resurrection does change the trajectory of our lives. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the power that we have in the resurrection, that you raised Jesus from the dead. And we, in turn, too, Father, will be in that place. You will raise us on that last day. When your son, Jesus, returns, we will get to reign with him, and we will get to be with him and you for eternity. We praise you for that, Father. Thank you so much for your love for us, for your Holy Spirit, for each one of the, of the saints that believes in you, Lord, because that's a comfort to us and an encouragement to us. We thank you for, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to change us in positive ways, that the world would see something different in us and want to know your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.